0: Thank you, Chris. Good morning, church family. Uh, The book of Genesis, a study of foundational truth for confusing times, for chaotic times. We are living in an era where we have lost our way. We are living in an an era of chaos and confusion. We're living in an era where there is no wisdom for the present. There's, there, there's no uh, answers for the questions that we are, or are, are tr- are the problems that we are trying to solve here in the present. We are living in an era where there is no hope for the future. We, we can't fix the present, and the future looks more bleak than ever. And the reason why we have no answers in the present and no hope for the future is because we've lost sight of the beginning. We live in an age where we're tearing down history, where we're canceling the past, where we're ignoring where we have come from. But today, as a church, we begin a journey of going back to the beginning. We live in an era where we are so confused, confused about life, confused about meaning, confused about the family, confused about gender, confused about science and medicine and politics and society and relationships. There's so much confusion in our world, and everyone is moving in such a hurry to try to solve all of these problems, problem after problem But there's no wisdom for the present and there's no hope for the future because there's no connection to the past. Our culture right now is moving like this enormous wave. Picture an enormous wave in the ocean, and it's it's gathering water together, and there's momentum, and there's power, and there are so many things happening in our culture with more and more people getting on board, and more and more momentum being built, and the wave is growing, and it seems as though it's infinite, as though it's powerful, and then what happens? The wave hits the rocks. the rock of reality and of truth. And in many ways, loved ones, we can get caught up in the wave, and we're floating along with it, and there seems to be momentum, and it seems to be inevitable, and it seems that we're making progress, and it seems like nothing can stop the cultural forces, but loved ones, there is a rock called reality. And you can get caught up in a wave, but eventually you're either gonna drown in the wave or you're gonna get smashed against the rock. And what we are aiming to do here at Hope Church is to ground ourselves so that we would be rooted in the rock solid foundational truth, going back to the beginning, so that we can be faithful and fruitful. In the midst of the chaos of the waves that are crashing against us. We want to stand firm. Listen, a rock has no momentum. The the, the rock there in the graphic that, that the man and the woman, there's no momentum to the rock. The rock is not growing. There's no speed to the rock. The rock isn't changing. But the rock will always be there. The waves will come and go. But that rock will stand firm. Foundational truth. So that we can be fruitful in chaotic times. The book of Genesis simply means beginnings. It's the Latin word from taken from Genesis chapter 2 verse 4. Uh, of beginning. That the Hebrew word is it, it, based off the, the, that initial phrase from chapter 1 verse 1 that Chris read. In the beginning. Genesis is the beginning of the Bible. It's the beginning of the universe. It's the the beginning of humankind. It's the beginning of our alienation from the God who made us, and it's the beginning of God's plan and promise to bring us back to him. It's in the book of Genesis where we can finally answer these questions. Why is there a conscience inside of me and why is there so much complexity all around me? And how can I explain the cosmos beyond me? These questions that every person on planet earth at, at some time in their life has to come to grips with. Why do I have a conscience? Why am I surrounded by complexity? And why beyond the complexity that I can see is the vastness of the cosmos. And Genesis doesn't just tell us what is all around us, but why it is there. It's there because in the beginning God it begins with God. Genesis is a book that helps us understand ourselves. Genesis is a book that helps us understand our world and the universe. Genesis is a book that helps us understand relationships. But ultimately, Genesis is a book that helps us understand God. It's a book about God. He is the main character. And so in light of that, we're going to pray for his help as we open his book uh, to learn from his word. Our Heavenly Father, we turn to you right now, thanking you that you are a God who has spoken. And Lord, it's been so good to sing your praise, Lord, this morning. It's been so good to declare that your name is blessed, Lord, even when you give, even when you take away. Lord, for for all days, Lord, you are worthy and you are holy. We have sung about these glorious truths that all the earth, Lord... All the earth declares your praise, and we want to be a people, Lord. The five or 600 people who are gathered here right now, we want to declare your praise. We want to use our voices to to exalt you, not just our voices, but our very lives. We want to ground our lives on the rock-solid reality of who you are. And so, God, we need so desperately, Lord, there's so many messages that we're hearing in our world, we need so desperately to hear your voice. And so God, I pray that as we look at these opening verses of the first book of the Bible, Lord, that we would hear you speaking your living and active word and that we would be transformed as a result, that you would give us a greater glimpse of who you are and all of your majesty and all of your beauty and all of your glory and all of your holiness. And God, that we would be transformed as a result. Lord, we pray these things by the Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. All right, well, some of you are taking Andrew Wong's uh, inspiration and interpretation class right now on Sunday nights. And you know that really the, the, first, the first thing we need to do before we apply the Bible to our own lives, uh, we, we need to figure out, well, who, who's the person writing this particular book and who are they writing to? We want to know who is the author and who is the original Audience that the author was writing to. So Genesis was written by Moses. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible, Uh, all the Old Testament authors and all the New Testament authors and, and Jesus as well, all assert that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. And Moses' original audience were the people that he was leading to the promised land, the freed slaves from Egypt who were on their way to the land that had been promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and so this is, this, is a, this is history that has been written by Moses to instruct and help the, the Hebrew former slaves who were on their way to the promised land. And I say the word history intentionally. I have an undergrad degree uh, in history, and, and, and some people think that the, 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 the book of Genesis is just myths, it's just stories, it's just kind of fables and fairy tales, but that's not how Moses wrote this book. This book is written in narrative prose. This book contains dates, months, uh, specific days. It, it 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 refers to specific places and locations and people. It's written as a history. Now, it's not an exhaustive history. And it's certainly a biased history from the, from the perspective of the people of God. It's written from the, even the perspective of God. And it's not always a sequential history. Sometimes it jumps around or it gives a summary statement here and then follows up with more detail in a later chapter. But Genesis is history. Secondly, Genesis is literature Remember, Moses was raised, most of his life he spent in the palace in Egypt. He was familiar with how the great works of ancient literature were formed and put together. And so Moses writes with incredible attention to detail. The structure, the the intentionality, the use of imagery, the use of repetition, the, the, the strategic use of numbers in the way that he puts the stories together it's not just history it's beautifully written literature but again don't 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 think that because it's literature it's somehow fictional this is not these are not fictional stories Genesis tells the facts this is a book that is factual now it's not written in such a way that would please contemporary scientists but Moses' original audience was not contemporary scientists. So he may not answer the questions that, that your grade 11 high school science teacher wants answered. But that's your grade 11 science teacher's problem, not Moses' problem. He was writing to the freed Hebrews, the freed Hebrew slaves. Moses describes what happens and why it happens, but he doesn't get into the mechanics of how it all happened. We get way off track if we read Genesis and, and, and sort of read it as though it were some sort of scientific, technical explanation of the mechanics of how God created the world. It's factual, but not mechanical. And then lastly, it's authoritative. Particularly this, the, what we're going to be studying in the next few Sundays together. There's no way for Moses to have known this without God showing him. We're not only told what God does and what God says, but we also read statements like, and God saw that it was good. We're actually told what God felt about his creation. It's authoritative because it is revealing who God is. Is. And so we're, we're holding on our hands here a document that is history, that is literature, that is factual, and that is authoritative. So if I could summarize that in one sentence about what the book of Genesis is, what kind of a book are we reading this morning? It's this. Genesis is theological history that recounts factual events with literary artistry for the purpose of revealing who God is. So we got to understand what type of a book that we're reading. There's a difference between reading a book of poetry and reading the phone book. There's a difference between reading a novel and reading a newspaper article about an event that happened in the news. you got to know what you're dealing with. And so Genesis is a theological history that recounts factual events with literary artistry for the purpose of revealing who God is. Genesis is a book of beginnings, and the beginning of Genesis is the beginning of the beginning. And I want us to, to really recognize and rejoice in three truths that would have been an encouragement to Moses' original hearers, and that also because Moses, it wasn't just Moses that was writing, he's writing on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And because of that, these words that Moses wrote are not just an encouragement and an instruction to the rescued, freed Hebrew slaves, but is also an encouragement and an instruction to us. So here's three truths that we can rejoice in from the beginning of the beginning. Here it is. In the beginning, here's the first one. When nothing else existed, God was eternally self-existent. In the beginning, when nothing else existed, God was eternally self-existent. Existent. Verse 1 says, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. God was the one who created everything that exists. Before there was anything, there was God and only God. He is the one who created the heavens and the earth. There was a time when there was only God. God. There was nothing else. Now again, we got to think about the original hearers. The original hearers who, who had a, a historical background going back centuries into, the, into Chaldea and into the Babylonians and, and their sort of teaching about how the world began. And then for four centuries, they had been living in Egypt and hearing all about the Egyptian myths and stories about how the world was created. Every other culture around the Hebrew people had stories of creation that went something like this. The gods were at war with one another, and that's what created the earth. Or the gods were in bed with one another, and that's what created the earth. Or that the sun that you see, that's a god. And the the fields and the forest, that's a god. And the water, that's a god. And so the original hearers had Time and time again, the wave that they were riding, the waters that they were swimming in, in the culture, was that there was multiple gods. And that the gods were part of creation. And that the gods were somehow dependent on creation. But Moses reveals this astounding truth. No, it's not that the sun is a god or that the water is a god. No, there's only one god and that and that the god who rescued the people of israel out of egypt is the only god and he is the one who created the heavens and the earth so what does this tell us about god that god has full sovereignty and full freedom god did not create the world and the universe because he needed the world and the universe He did not create out of a sense of dependence or out of a sense of emptiness. No, God was full and complete. And yet he still chose out of the abundance of all that the triune God is and the love between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. God chose to create. He had full sovereignty and full freedom. He didn't need to create the world no one compelled him to create the universe. He's not dependent on anything in all of creation. He is fully transcendent. To be trans- the word transcendent, the etymology of transcendent, means to climb over something. God is transcendent in that he's over and above his creation. He doesn't need creation. He's not part of creation. He's over and above all that he created. He has no beginning He has no end. He has no limitations to his power. He has no rivals to his authority. And and we, whether it's the original audience or us as an audience today, we have no category for that. We are so limited, right? We all enjoyed our extra hour sleep last night, didn't we? And we all feel great right now, don't we? But we still needed sleep. We're limited by, by uh, our energy is limited. We can't live without sleep. We can't live without water. We can't live beyond the boundaries of time and space. We can't live without sunlight. We can't live without oxygen. We don't have freedom. Though we, our world loves to talk about freedom, but we don't have true freedom. We love to talk about personal autonomy and, and expressive individualism, that I can do whatever, you can't do whatever you want to do. There's very narrow limitations to what a human being can do because we are dependent on so many things in creation. Not so with God. In the beginning, God. He's eternally self-existent. He doesn't depend or rely on anything. It says that God created the heavens and the earth. This is a literary device. Again, Moses was a brilliant writer. Heavens and earth, this is called a merism, like head to toe, or north to south, east to west, A to Z. It's saying, I'm talking about the, the, the one part and the other part, and it includes everything in between. In the beginning, God created everything that is. Underline that word created in verse 1, the Hebrew word there is bara, and the, the only time that word is used in the Old Testament is to describe God's creative work. You might feel like you're a creative person. We have lots of creative people here at Hope Church, and thank God for them, but no one is truly a creator other than God. God. The Old Testament have, has words for humans making things or forming things or building things. But loved ones, only God creates. Theologians call it that God created ex nihilo, out of nothing. There was, no, there was a time when there was nothing but God. And God chose, he was free to, and he sovereignly chose to create the heavens and earth. The earth he created it all so God is eternally self-existent which means he's fully independent we depend on the one who is fully independent what are you depending on today are you depending on your savings account are you depending on your salary are you are you depending on wealth well your wealth and your salary and your savings account are dependent on something called the markets And so what you depend on is not independent. Your wealth is not there in and of itself. Your wealth goes, haven't we seen it in the last couple of years? Your wealth just goes up and down and mostly down. So you want to depend on money? Well, good luck with that because money is dependent on markets. So don't, don't depend... Are you dependent on, on politics? Is your hope in, in who wins in the election next week south of the border? Is your hope in, in the next time we, if we ever get to vote for the federal government again? Do, do you... Is your hope that, you know, 10 years from now, whenever we get to vote again for the federal government, is your hope somehow and who you're going to... Listen, those people who you have your hope in, they're dependent as well. They're dependent on all the things like we're dependent on, oxygen and water and sunlight, but they're also dependent on votes. And depending on how the wave of culture is moving, don't depend on something that is dependent in and of itself. We depend on something that is independent. God is eternal and he is eternally self-existent. And this is where our hope should be. And this is where Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 zeros in our focus. The Genesis is a book about God, the God who was there in the beginning, the God who created everything and who's transcendent, who stands outside of all of it. So in the beginning, verse 1, God created the heavens and the earth. Now look with me at verse 2. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face Of the waters. And we often skip over this part to get to the let there be light part, but Moses is being very intentional with his words. In Hebrew, that opening line is a a line of completion. Seven Hebrew words open up the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's more words in English, but in the Hebrew, it's seven. Moses is being very intentional with every word, and he wants His hearers, in verse 2, listen to the words he uses. Without form, void, darkness, deep, the waters. This isn't like a peaceful, tranquil sort of a scene that is being pictured here. And I think we need, we need to just camp out here in verse 2 for a second and, and recognize this. Again, if you're taking notes today, jot this down. That when there was darkness and chaos, God was present and God was in control. When there was darkness and chaos, God was present and God was in control. When, when, we're, when, when God reveals to Moses what those opening moments of creation was like. Moses was like, I don't want to live there. The original audience would be like, I, I don't want to be in a place that's, that's watery and deep and, and, and dark and empty and void and, and formless. Now, some people read uh, verse 1, that God created the heavens and the earth, and then before they get to verse 2, they say, well, millions and millions of years must have gone by. And then... And then we have verse two. But again, if Moses wanted us to think that, he probably would have said something like that. I believe verse one is really just a summary opening statement. God created the heavens and the earth. And then verse two here's the details. Here's how it started it started with something that was formless and empty and void and deep and dark and just without form, it was mysterious. This is how it started. Now, some scholars believe that the, the, the original creation was like this because Satan had just been cast out of heaven and the chaos and the darkness was like a, like a moral evil. I, I don't necessarily buy that. It, it could be true. I think what's going on here is that God works in mysterious ways. Yeah, yes, yes. In the Bible, light is normally a, you know, a symbol for goodness, and darkness is a symbol for evil, but not always. Jameson read from Psalm 97 at the very beginning of the service where, where it said that dark clouds surround him. Who's him? God. He's surrounded, he's shrouded, and yes, he's a God of light and truth, but there's a sense of mystery about him. And so the way that the world started, there's depths and and. and, and and there's the emptiness there's there's a void there's darkness but this is how it got started it started the world started like a wasteland like an uninhabitable empty dark unproductive chaotic kind of frightening beginning again moses isn't wasting words here but this is how it this is how it started it was it was dark it was it was chaotic But look who's there. It says the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Moses wanted his original hearers to hear, and the Holy Spirit wants us to hear this as well, that when there was darkness and chaos, God was present, and God was in control. The Spirit of God was hovering above the waters. God was present. He was present in his creation. Yes, God is transcendent. He's over and above. He's not dependent on creation. But God chooses to be present in his creation. This is the amazing. If God were separate and transcendent, he would be worthy of our worship. But he's so much more than that. He's a God who comes near. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the darkness, hovering over the emptiness, hovering over the void, hovering over the deep, hovering over what to us is mysterious and chaotic, but he's present and loved ones, he's in control. The Spirit of God is hovering only one other time that that phrase is used. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 10 and 11. Let me show show it to you here on the screen. It says, he encircled him. This is talking about God and how he relates to Israel. He encircled him. He cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young. When an eagle sees that, that, that its little eaglets are ready to learn how to fly, the, the, the eagle will, will flutter over the nest to sort of tell the little eaglets, this is how you do it. This is how you mature. This is how you grow. It's time to hop out of the nest. And so the eagle is fluttering, fluttering these little eaglets to the next stage. And so in the same way, The Holy Spirit is fluttering, hovering over creation, moving it, preparing it to move from being uninhabitable to being habitable, to being filled with darkness, to being filled with light, to being empty, to being full. So God is present and God is in control. The Holy Spirit was there hovering over the water. It's also important that he's over the water. He has authority over it. He's not being carried about or sucked into the deep. The waves aren't crashing and and leading him this way or that way. The Holy Spirit is sovereign. He is over his creation, moving and working. Yeah, there was chaos. Yes, it was dark. Yes, it was deep. Yes, it was mysterious. But God was in control. And again, there are some times where darkness is evil. I don't necessarily think that this is describing evil. There are some times where we find ourselves in a dark place because there's some sort of evil. There's sin or there's corruption. There's some times where we're in a dark place just because we're in a dark place. Sometimes darkness is just neutral. It's just dark. But wherever we find ourselves, whatever sense of mystery, whatever sense of uncertainty, whatever depths we find ourselves in, listen, God is always present. And God is always in control. The way it was from the very beginning is the way it always has been and the way it always will be. Nothing is spinning out of control for God. He was hovering over the deep, preparing it for creation. And again, for the original hearers who are out in the wilderness at night, and there's warring bands and there's wild animals, and they're sleeping in tents, and they can't see you know, their face in front of them, and they don't know what's going to happen next. It's just nighttime, it's just dark, but it's, it's a little bit scary, it's a little bit frightening, it's a little bit mysterious. They knew that God, in the beginning, hovered over the darkness, over the depth, that he was in control, and that he is in control and will lead his people to the promised land, in the same way for us. We live in a world, oh my goodness, a world that is so dark. And there are so many things happening in our world that are just flat out evil and wrong, and that's dark. And then there are also things that are happening in our world and happening in our lives that are dark too, but you can't quite call it evil. It's just weird. It's just hard. It's just difficult. It's just confusing. You just need to know that in those moments, God is present and God is in control. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. He was present, and he was in control. He was working. So we're introduced to the Spirit of God in verse 2, and then in verse 3, we're introduced to the Word of God. Verse 2 says, and God said, sorry, verse 3, and God said, let there." Be light, and there was light. I jot this down thirdly. When God spoke, there was light, and there was order. When God spoke, there was light, and there was order. So when nothing else existed, God was eternally self-existent. When there was darkness and chaos, God was present, and God was in control. And then when God spoke... There was light and there was order. Our God is a God who speaks. And the first thing God said in establishing creation was, let there be light. His word, which is a lamp to our feet, the first words he spoke in establishing his creation, putting the wheels in motion on day one was, let there be light. I love the simplicity of verse 3. God said, let there be light, and there was light. As soon as he said it, there was light. The power of his word. All he had to do was speak. If I want to get, I wish I could just speak, you know? I wish I could just speak and things would get done. I mean, some of us have Alexa or, hey, Google, do this or do that. Well, you could turn the lights on and off or find out what the weather is, but don't you wish you could just speak? Hey, paperwork be filed, right? <laughs> emails, emails, go away, right? <laughs> Children, become submissive and obedient. You just wish you could speak, right? But our words have, have such limited, limited God. All he, he said, let there be light. And there was light. It's incredible. All he had to do. speak Psalm 33, uh, verse 6, it says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their hosts. Psalm 33, verse 9, For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. Let there be light. And there was light. Now, I joke that, you know, my words don't have the same power that I sometimes wish they had. But because we are made in God's image, our words also have power. Proverbs uh, chapter 18 verse 21 says, life and death are in the power of the tongue. And, And just like God's word has power, our words in a limited sense can have a huge impact on the world Uh, around us, more about that as we dive deeper into the book of of Genesis. He said, let there be light and there was light. There used to be only darkness, but now there was light. Then look what happens in verse 4. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness, and he called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning, the first day. Notice how he separated the light from the darkness in verse four, and he called the light day and the darkness night. In verse two, the earth was formless and void. There was no form, there was no structure, and it was dark. And God spoke and he brought light, and then he spoke again separating the light from the darkness, creating a distinction. He separated them. He said the darkness belongs here and the light belongs here. And when it's dark, I'm going to call it something. I'm going to call it night. And when it's light, I'm going to call it something. God is organizing. He's, he's, he's categorizing. He's bringing order out of the formlessness of verse 2. When God speaks, he brings light and he brings order and we see this on the the next six days of creation he brings order there's night and day and darkness and light and water and land and sky and fish and birds and animals broken into categories of livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth and they're all divided according to their kinds and male and female god is a god his word brings light and it brings order it brings structure God's revealed word brings order to our lives. Now, think about this for the original hearers. They have received God's word, God's word in the form of a promise that would take them to the promised land. They had also on Mount Sinai received God's word in the form of the Ten Commandments. God's word brings order. The Ten Commandments said, this is how you're supposed to live. This is the order. This is the structure. This is how you should relate to your neighbor. This is how you should relate to God. When we allow God's word to speak to us, it brings order to our lives. And what was true for the original hearers who had the light of God's word and the order that comes from receiving God's word, we have our lives ordered by what God's word says. You see, there is an orderliness in terms of creation. There's a structure that God has established. The way things are supposed to relate to one another. Darkness and light and land and water and birds and fish. So there's a creation orderliness. But loved ones, there's also a moral orderliness that's outlined in the Ten Commandments, that's outlined in the rest of the book of Genesis of male and female and marriage and family, there's a a creation orderliness and there is a moral orderliness. And if you rewind maybe 75 or 80 years ago, our culture started tinkering with the creation order thinking, well, maybe God didn't put this order in place. Maybe it's just random chance. Maybe rather than God speaking the universe into existence, we don't really have a way of explaining how it all started, but let's just skip over that part, and let's just assume that like we all kind of cl- climbed out of the sea and then grew legs, and then, you know, giraffes figured out how to have such a long neck, and then we figured out how to, uh, how to walk on two feet. We, we started tinkering with the creation order, thinking that, well, nothing too much is going to change, but then what changed? As our culture developed and started to tinker with the creation order, what happened to the moral order? The moral order started to fall apart. But now what's really interesting in our world, now, you know, fast forward to like five minutes ago, (laughs) now we've really started to tinker with the moral order thing. And now, because the moral order, we've, we've changed and twisted that in our own way, now we're actually starting to contradict again some of the basic principles of the creation order that people 75 or 80 years ago never would have even dreamed of. Categories like male and female. Institutions like marriage. All of these things. As the moral order is changing, where as a result, we feel the need as a culture to change and contradict what is so evidently clear about the creation order. So all the more reason for us to study the book of Genesis, all the more reason for us to come to God's word to find truth and to find order. Order. This is God's uh, intention in creation, that there would be a creation order and a moral order, and that his creatures, his image bearers, would delight and rejoice in both. God's word is our authority. God's word is our light. But what does this mean for us as New Testament believers, as followers of Jesus Christ? Well, we know that when Jesus' disciples started to write down his his biographies when they started to write out the gospels. They they tapped in when 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 they began, they wanted to begin where the kind of places Moses began. Moses in Genesis has a lot of genealogies. Matthew starts with, with genealogies. The Gospel of John, in an almost eerie way, begins almost exactly the way the book of Genesis begins. John chapter 1, verses 1 to 5 says, in the beginning, it's the exact same phrase, in the beginning was the Word. God spoke. Who's the Word? We already saw the Holy Spirit in Genesis chapter 1, hovering over the face of the deep, but in the beginning was the Word. When God spoke, He spoke by His Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God. He was in the beginning with God. This is talking about Jesus. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Notice this. The light shines in the darkness. Where's John getting that from? Genesis chapter 1. Jesus is the word. Jesus is the light, the one who brings order and the one who brings structure and the one who brings light. Light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So Jesus came. Jesus is the one who was there in the beginning with the spirit as the spirit was hovering over the waters. Jesus, the word of God, is speaking creation into existence. And then the New Testament authors drill down even deeper on this concept, on this idea of creation and darkness and light and the word. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4. He says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, Genesis chapter 1, he says, has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ that apart from God, in our hearts, we are formless and void. There is darkness. But the Holy Spirit comes over our heart and flutters and says, come to new life. See who Jesus is, hear the word of God. And so out of the darkness and the formlessness and the emptiness of our hearts, the Spirit works to reveal the Word of God, which is like light shining in the darkness. And what is a result in the next chapter? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Loved ones, the beginning not only tells us about how it was in the beginning, Genesis tells us how it is now. It is true. Back then, before anything existed, God was eternally self-existent. He's still self-existent. And it's true. Uh, It it is is true that when there was darkness and chaos, God spoke and he was present. And that's true now. Now. And it was true that his word brings order and light then, and it's true now. We can become new creations. The darkness in our lives is filled with light. The formlessness in our lives is filled with structure and order on how we are supposed to live. Because we become a new creation. And the way the biblical story unfolds, it starts with all of creation, and then it zeroes in on your individual heart when you get to the New Testament. Your heart needs to... So God created everything. Your heart needs to be recreated. You need to confess your sin. Admit that there's darkness there and emptiness there, that you've rebelled against God's creation order and His moral order. It starts with the vastness of God's creation, then zeroes in on your heart. But the way the Bible ends... It goes all the way back, all the way back to the vastness of God's original creation. Look at the last few chapters of Revelation. Revelation 21, verse 1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In Revelation, at the end, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Because if we've been made new creations, if our hearts have been changed, then there needs to be a new dwelling place for us to live forever in eternity with him. So there's a new heaven and a new earth that is coming. And then Revelation twenty-two thirteen, 13, Jesus says, I am the alpha and the omega. Those are the two, le- the two beginning and ending letter in the Greek alphabet. I'm A to Z, A to Z, the first and the last, the beginning and the The end. You see, when we when we when we get the book of Genesis, it it doesn't just help us understand our culture, our society, it helps us understand ourselves. And it doesn't just help us understand, you know, better what the Old Testament said. No, it helps us better understand what the New Testament says. And it, it doesn't just give us foundational truth for what it means to look backward at how it all started but it also gives us foundational truth to be able to look forward to where it's all going. So have you become a new creation? Have you allowed the God who said, let there be light to speak to you in your heart? to fill that emptiness, to fill that void, to bring that forgiveness that you need for breaking God's creation, order, and his moral order. And if you have made that decision, are you being carried away by the wave and the momentum of what's happening in our world and our culture, or are you founded on the rock-solid reality of who God is and where it all began? Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, um, we could could spend a lifetime in these five verses plumbing its depths, beholding its beauty, and talking about its implications for our lives. 45 minutes is nowhere near enough time, Lord. God, we thank you that you are a God who speaks. We worship you as our creator, and we want to respond to you Those of us who don't yet know you, who are separated from you, who don't know this powerful God who spoke the universe into existence, Lord, for those who are in that place, God, we pray that they would confess their sin and turn to you. And God, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we pray that our lives would be characterized by his word, that our lives would be filled with light, that our lives would be filled with healthy and good structure and boundaries of this is how we live and this is how we don't live. This is what we do and this is what we don't do because this is what God's word says. And so, love, I, Lord, I pray that we would be a people who are hearing and responding to and living by your word. We pray, God, that you would continue to speak to us during the course of this series, and we pray that you would move powerfully for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen.